0: There's something about a baby's cry, isn't it? It's just one of the sweetest sounds, I think, to our human ears. Amen? We're so glad that you guys are here today. Merry Christmas. How are you guys doing so far? Are you making it this this Christmas season? Amen. hope you still have joy in in your home amidst all of it. Amen? We can lose that, can we not? We get so frantic and anxious about it. Just relax joy has come. Amen. Hey, there's a lot of exciting things happening here. You, you probably caught wind of many of those in, in, in our announcement video today. I just want to remind you that next Sunday is going to be a special time as, as we're, we're giving, we're, we're giving our kids ministry, uh, a a week off and we're going to have all families together next week. Amen. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I, I love, listen, you need to understand some, I love I love the laughter, I love the chatter. I love the busyness of children. Some of you don't, but I love it. I love it kind of it's just fun. And so uh, next week we're gonna come together as families and and just worship and celebrate together. I, I think there's something special. One of the things I remember growing up as a kid is seeing my parents model for me what worship was like and opening up the Bible and things of that such. And so I'm excited that next week we get to worship together uh, as, as families. You, you also know that, hey, we're, you're sitting on a card today that looks like this. Probably says Christmas in the city. Uh, we're going to have our New Year's Eve service once again back on Bernie's Main Plaza. We had to take a break last year because of, of the COVID. I don't know if you've heard about that. And uh, last year we actually had Christmas Eve out on our front lawn here. Uh, and it was wonderful. There's something special about just being outside, and but especially in the heart of our community. So we've given you a couple of, of invite cards. Listen, here's the great thing. I, I was talking to Pastor actually earlier this week about his Christmas Eve services. And, and there's so many incredible opportunities around our community. And so our goal is just to help people connect and find one. So we've given you a couple of cards. If you want to pass out and, and invite someone to Christmas Eve in the town square, you can. It's always a special time from 6 to 7. You'll be home in time to enjoy tamales and, and things of that such. Uh, but we're excited about what God wants to do uh, at Christmas uh, in the city. Amen? Hey, I want to thank you guys because uh, you're faithful in your giving. And, and, and Christmas in the city this year is going to have a, an added purpose behind it. Uh, we partner, as one of our ministry partners, is, is a ministry called Taking It to the Streets. And for years... You guys, through your faithful giving financially, through your tithes and offerings here, we've been able to support that. Uh, but we're going to have an opportunity at Christmas in the city this year to fill up their truck with coats and blankets and socks, amen, that they will be able to use uh, to be the hands and feet of Jesus as they go out uh, every weekend to, the, to the, those that, that, that will need some of those things over the next several, several months. You guys remember it snowed last year. Do y'all remember that? Come on, somebody. Some of y'all still probably working on wells and things of that such, right? So so we're going to have an opportunity at Christmas in the city to fill up their truck with coats and blankets and and new pairs of socks and things like that. So we're really excited about that. And I want to thank you for being a church that is generous in your giving. Again, you give faithfully every week through through our My Best or online or whatever. And we want to encourage you to continue to do that, especially as the end of the year is approaching. Just a reminder, all of those end of year gifts need to be in before you know, December the 31st, but, but more importantly, just being a church that, that gives above and beyond what you do here. It's through a warm coat or through a blanket or through a pair of socks. I, I was reminded uh, of you guys over, over the Thanksgiving time frame of bringing angel tree gifts and frying turkeys and things of that such. I love pastoring a church that is generous in spirit. So thank you guys for being faithful in giving. And you never know what we bring how God is able to breathe on that bless it and use it for his glory. Amen. And so, uh, I'm looking forward to, to the Christmas season, the next couple weeks students last full week of school, I believe. Is that right? Good. A few of the students are excited and all the parents are not, are you? Because you know that for the next, man, it's a longer break, I believe this year too. And, and parents are going to have to be like event planners and coordinators of schedules and things of that such. And, um, you know, my, 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 my mom just ordered lots of things from Schwann's still a thing where they drive around that box truck and have those little frozen pizzas and ice cream bars. I lived on those growing up. You can tell. And, uh, and that, that was my babysitter that, that in the Brady bunch. Amen. Come on somebody. And, um, but anyway, we hope you students have a great final week of classes. You've worked hard all semester. Don't give up now. Work hard and and finish strong. Amen. Can we pray today for a move of God? Listen, this is a great time of the year. An opportunity for us to preach about a Savior that has come. His his name is Jesus. His name means Savior. When you add that title Christ to it, he is the anointed one. Amen. And so I'm going to pray today for pastors and leaders all across our city, this region, our state and our nation, the world as we preach Jesus if you feel comfortable grab a hand next to you today as a sign of unity and that we're in this together let's just pray in fact if there's a if there's a pastor's name if there's a Sunday school teacher's name if there's a kids worker's name a youth pastor's name that comes to your mind just just lift that up to the father right now as we pray lord jesus thank you for being a, a king that is worth years after your presence physically here on earth, you're still worth talking about and singing about. And we lift our hands today and we truly declare that you alone are worthy. You are Christ the Lord. Hallelujah. There is no one like you, Jesus. And Lord, my prayer today is that houses of worship those that are even watching online right now, Lord, as we gather together, that we would lift high that name that is above all others, Jesus. Lord, I'm praying for every pastor, every kids worker, every youth worker, Lord, every Sunday school leader. Lord, I just pray that every word that comes out of our mouths today would would point listeners towards Jesus, towards Jesus. Lord, you're the reason we exist. You're the reason we're here. You're not just a reason for a season. No, you are the very essence of life. And we want to preach about you and sing about you and focus on you and tell about you. All of that today, it is about Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move today in houses of worship. Lord, that people would understand your presence God, that they would be drawn to you, not drawn to a song or a personality or a style or whatever. No, God, I pray that your spirit would move in the hearts of listeners today. And God, they would be drawn to your great name, Jesus. Jesus, you're the reason we're here. And I'm excited to be able to talk about you now. It's in your name we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen. Hey, did you lift your hands during worship today? Man, I, I love that. There's something freeing about that, right? In fact, I'm just, let's just—I'm going to preach this way the whole way. Everybody, get your hands up. And go, just kidding. Hey, listen. Today we're going to continue in this series entitled <clears throat> "Savior," because Jesus is the reason for this season, especially. Think about this. There is no other birth that we talk about more than His. Would you agree with that? I mean, listen. Uh, how many other people have the the number of songs written about their entrance into the world? I, I know that your birth story is incredible. <clears throat> Some of you, I, I know, have incredible tales to tell. But listen, it, it, there is no one whose birthday is celebrated quite like our Savior Jesus. Would you agree with that? I mean, we, we, we decorate, we, we, we sing the songs. There are special productions about, thank you. Oh, awesome. I love it too. There is no official sponsor of this bottle of water right here. Amen. (laughs) Ezra, you're a champ. Thank you, brother. Uh, But there's no other one that gets the airtime that he gets. His birth is momentous. It is unmatched in history. There is no one like him. And so this Christmas season, we're, we're just focusing on him. We're keeping it about him. Now, last week, we looked at his I identity. And and again, a name gives us a lot of information about a person, does it not? His name means savior. When you add that title Christ, it means the anointed one. Listen, there is no one that can save except that name Jesus. Amen. Jesus is the savior of the world. He is the king of kings. He is the the anointed one of God. We looked last week in Luke chapter nine, Jesus asked his disciples, hey, what's the word on the street about who I am? But then more importantly, he asked his disciples, but, but who do you say? I mean, we know that Peter, this one who oftentimes spoke before he thought about what he was about to say. Do you know anybody like that? But Peter makes a declaration in Luke chapter nine says, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the son of God. God, right? And we asked that question last week, and it's a big question for all of us listening here today. Who do you say I am? It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Jesus, God incarnate, God in the flesh, a fetus born from a woman that lived on earth, fully God, yet fully man. He lived and he showed us so many things in life. And today I want to talk a little bit about that. I want us to look at today about Jesus's life and his ministry. You see, there's something that comes to your mind right now when you think about how Jesus lived his life. So many of us will be remembered one day in how we live our life. Tombstones and cemeteries all across the nation have have a birth date and an ending date. And in between is this thing that we oftentimes call the dash, right? And that dash is symbolic of what takes place in a person's life from the time they, 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 they make their entrance into the time they depart this earth. Listen, Jesus's dash is pretty significant. Would you agree with that? Listen, there's some things that you know even right now as I'm speaking about how did Jesus live his life. There's some things that come to your mind. There's some words that come to mind. Maybe you remember a story. Maybe you remember a person that he, 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 he interacted with while he was here on earth. But Jesus's life is big. His ministry is big. And today I want us to unpack just a little bit. We could talk for hours about that, okay? Um, uh, but, but we're not going to do that today because it would be never ending. But I want you to just think about Jesus's life and ministry. And when I think about it, there's some things that come to my mind that, that, that are just important for me as I think about who he is. But more importantly, and I love what one of the men that prayed with me this morning, it's not, let us not just hear these words, but somehow let us take the model of Jesus himself and let us emulate that. That, that, that word emulate means let us be like that. Listen, if there's any model, if there's anyone that we would encourage you, even you students, to pattern your lives after. Listen, I pray that today in in the looking at the life of Jesus, that somehow we'd get a a picture as to maybe how we should function and live our lives. You know, when I think about Jesus, I see a Savior. I see even a, a, a child who ultimately became a a, a, a grown man. I see one submitted to his father. I, I, I see submission in Jesus's life, even as as a child. <laughs> you know, maybe we could argue about what about that day that he got lost in the temple somewhere and kind of ran off. Anybody like that back in the day? That when you went to church as a kid, you were like a banshee and you just were cut loose, right? You just ran around. But but, but we see that even Jesus honoring Jesus being submitted to his earthly parents, but more importantly, around the age of 30, as Jesus embarks upon his ministry career, three years of that, we find a Savior King, a Christ child that becomes submitted to the will of his Father in heaven. In fact, in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 38, we read these words from Jesus. Jesus says, for I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is his will. So Jesus is saying, this is who sent me. And then he's saying, and here's the reason he sent me. This is the will of God that I should not lose even one that he has given me, but that all of them will be raised up on that last day. For it is my father's will that that all who see his son, who see me, would believe in him and should have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. We find here a, 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 a savior king that submitted to the will of his father. That word submission is not a word that we like to embrace in our culture these days, right? It's not it, because it has so many connotations of negativity or someone lording their will or their power or their authority over someone. When you look up that word submission in the dictionary, it means it's an action of, of an individual kind of lowering and understanding that there's someone greater than them and then willingly coming under that authority, that umbrella, and, 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 and maybe laying aside their themselves for the betterment of the one that they're submitting to. That's what submission is all about. And in this verse here in John chapter six, we begin to get a picture. Listen, this is, this is God in the flesh. This is, this is God in human form. He put on skin and he lived amongst us in the book of John. It starts that way, right? He became one of us, but yet we find Jesus modeling submission to his father. He understood that his dad was in his father in heaven was the architect for his life. He had a plan. And Jesus wanted to completely submit. He modeled that for for people that were around him constantly. Jesus would say things, hey, listen, I've come not to do my will, but to do the one of the Father. He would say things like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? Submitting. Forgetting my will, my desires, my wants. And we see this time and time again in the life of Jesus. That's part of his dash. There were times in which the disciples, his hand-selected dream team, couldn't find him. Why? Because he had slipped away and he'd gone to pray, seeking the Father's will. Jesus says things like, you don't see me doing anything that I've not seen my father doing. He modeled that. You know, Every little boy wants to be like their dad, right? That can be good or bad for some of us. We've got some good models and some some bad, right? But but, but all of us, there was that time which, if I could just be like my dad. Jesus constantly modeling this idea of submitting to his father. Guys, we see this played out all throughout his life. And even that final, those final moments before he's arrested by the Roman guard in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knows that the cross and the crucifixion awaits him. And he's wrestling in the garden. Scripture says that he's wrestling. It's so intense that drops of blood are coming from his head, right? And Jesus praised these words. My father, it is, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me. You see, listen, Jesus understood something. This baby born in a manger, Jesus knew what his purpose was in life. He knew why he'd come. He knew what the father wanted. But yet, even in this moment, we see his humanity. Lord, listen, Father, if there's another way, please let this cup pass from me. But look what he says. But if not, I want your will to be done, not mine. We see submission to the Father. This idea of of, of laying aside my wants and my desires to embrace a greater calling, a higher calling from one who, who, who is an authority, who, who, one, who, who, hey, let me ask you a quick, who do you live for? Who, who, who is it that, 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 that you live for? Who, who is it? that you are seeking after today. Who's planned for your life? Who's the architect? For some of us, we live for the applause man. In fact, I love what what Paul would say in the book of Galatians. You don't have this, but but we know that Paul has this radical life change one day, right? From Saul to Paul. and, And Paul begins to give us in the book of Galatians all throughout his life, he gives us snapshots as to what drives him, why he lives. He says this in Galatians 1.10. He says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. You flip the page to chapter 2, and Paul writes these words in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, listen, my old self has been crucified with Christ. And listen to what he says. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We get a picture of a man submitted to the will of the Father. Who do you live for? Are you living for the approval of mom and dad? Are you living for the approval? Are you living, you know, just to to make your name great? Are you living so that other people will think you're awesome and you're the best of the best? Are you living to please a boss or you're living to please your spouse or you want your kids to think highly of you? Not necessarily anything wrong with those things, but I just love this image of a savior, a Christ child, the king who submits himself to the will of God of his father in heaven. Wow. You know, when I think about the life of Jesus, the word compassion comes to my mind. Time and time again, we can read story after story of of Jesus stepping into someone's life and and showing compassion. In fact, Charles Spurgeon would say that this phrase that I'm about to read to you in, in Matthew chapter nine, verse 36, could be the single phrase that most encapsulates who Jesus was. Says when he saw the vast crowds of people, here it is, Jesus' heart was deeply moved with compassion. The word compassion means to have empathy or pity towards someone. It means to be, you know, stirred maybe emotionally by by what you see happening in someone else's life. But I love what Spurgeon would go on to say as he reads this verse. He would say, listen, when you read about the compassion of Christ, it wasn't that he just saw needs of people and would say, man, I feel bad for that person. No, no. The compassion of Christ actually caused him to do something about it. You know, it's easy for us, isn't it, not just to see a need and say, man, I, I feel bad for that individual. But the compassion that Christ demonstrated actually called him to action to do something about the needs that he saw in people's lives around him. Spurgeon would say it was like an agitation within his bowels. It just stirred him so much that Jesus couldn't stand back. He couldn't stand by and see the needs of people all around him. Listen, I hope you read your Bible. Do you ever read the Bible? Do you ever read the Word of God? It's awesome. And for some of you that are looking for something to read this week, hey, read the bestseller of all times, okay? In fact, I would encourage you to, to read, start in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call those the Gospels. That means that, that the, the, these are stories, and it gives us a snapshot as to who Jesus was and what he was all about. The Bible's broken down into two major sections, Old Testament, New Testament. New Testament, these first four books, read them. Because each one of these authors give us a little bit different perspective as to who Jesus was all about. But, but, but I love when you begin to read about Jesus, you're going to find compassion time and time again. You're going to find Jesus' love towards children. You're going to find how Jesus cared about women. You're going to find how, how Jesus cared even for, for those on the fringes of society that others had written off and cast off when the religious people of the day didn't want to have anything to do because they were afraid that maybe some of the dirtiness and the ugliness of an individual might rub off on them. No, you're going to find this savior, this baby born, you're going to find him running to those individuals. Aren't you thankful for a compassionate Christ child? Huh? Come on. You're going to find that he invites a tax collector to be a part of his inner circle. You're going to find Jesus in Luke chapter 19, dealing with a, a, a notorious publican, but yet offering forgiveness and grace and mercy, having dinner at his house because he says salvation is needed here, right? And you're going to get a snapshot as to why Jesus came when he says in verse 10, he says, the son of man, the reason I came was to find and restore the lost. It'd be a great verse, wouldn't it? For someone to live by. You're going to find time and time again, Jesus touching lepers. These are people who have skin diseases who, who were oftentimes had to, were forced to live outside the city walls for the fear of infecting others. You're going to find Jesus interacting with prostitutes and people that are about to, whose lives are about to be taken. You're going to find Jesus being compassionate from people that were born blind and, and stepping in and meeting a need in their life, giving deaf ears the ability to hear, giving mutes the opportunity to speak. I'm telling you, when you read the Bible, do you? You cannot escape this about that dash in Jesus's life that he was a God of compassion. Oh, church, if there's any prayer that I have for us is that we would have the compassion that Jesus has for people, amen? That we wouldn't just see needs around us, but we would actually be Jesus and step into those scenarios in an individual's life. That we would be the hands and feet. And listen, you are more than equipped. You are more than able to be Jesus in someone's life. I don't know much of scripture. That's okay, you just meet a need. To step into that situation and put Christ on display for someone. You know, when you read about that dash in Jesus's life, I think of Jesus as a servant. Wow. That's not a, a word that, 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 that a lot of religious people in Jesus's day, a lot of the, 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 the rabbis, that's not a word and a term that, that they would embrace. But I'm telling you, this Christ child is different. He's unlike any other king born. Amen. Most kings have people serve and attend to their needs. But in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, we get a little picture of that dash of why Jesus came. He says, for the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to offer his life as a ransom for many. In this verse, Jesus says, listen, I did not come to have you wait on me, but I've come to serve and meet the needs. We see this played out time and time again. But if there's one picture that stands out most to me, and you probably, for you as well, is in John chapter 13. I shared with you about Jesus praying in the garden that if father, if there's another way for this cup to pass for me, please do it. But prior to that, just an hour or so before we find him in an upper room with his disciples sharing a meal together and we find Jesus demonstrating. You see, Jesus didn't just talk about it. He modeled it and demonstrated it. Amen. Don't you love people that do that? They don't just say, this is what I think you should be about, but they actually live it out. Come on, there's validity to that. We see in John chapter 13, Jesus during a mealtime stooping down, kneeling and embracing the role of a servant and washing the feet of his disciples. A task that was reserved for the house servant during that time and day. But yet we find this baby born in a manger, the king, the Christ, the anointed one. We find him serving, humbling himself, Washing feet. Whew. That sets him apart, does it not? You seen a president do that? If you're a big CEO of a company, if you, has your CEO walked in? In fact, just, hey, text me if your CEO walks in and was like, hey, excuse me, excuse me. Hey, just pause, and I'm gonna wash your feet today. It's unheard of. But I'm telling you, when you look at the dash in the life of this baby born in a manger, you're going to find that about him. In fact, in Philippians chapter two, we read these words, though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave slash servant. He was born of a human being. He appeared in human form and he humbled himself in obedience to God. And ultimately, he died a criminal's death on a cross. You see, in that dash in Jesus' life, he didn't just speak about it, but he modeled it. And you're going to hear us say this time and time again around here, Jesus really embodied it. He showed us the way that greatness comes in the lowering of yourself when you serve. And I guess that leads to me, the final thing of, of many that I could speak about today that, that really show me about the life and the ministry of Jesus. This idea of serving, we read about it there in, in Philippians chapter two, it ultimately led him to another part of his dash, and that was the word love. Listen, I, I, I think without Jesus, we really wouldn't understand what true love is. True love is self-sacrificing, is it not? Not. True love is enduring. True love is, is not just a momentary decision. It is a commitment to someone, right? We, we, we live in a day and an age in which we're just trying to be content in life. Come on. I'm looking, and I think heaven's looking for some people that are going to be committed. Oh, and, and because we're not content, we don't oftentimes follow through with commitment, I think we've got it flipped. We need to be committed. And as I'm committed and remain true to something or to someone, then I'm going to be content. Amen? See, we don't understand true love without Jesus. Self-sacrificing, generous. It's giving, even when it's not returned. It's sometimes love is not reciprocated in our culture today, is it? It's never ending. It's faithful. It's patient. 1 Corinthians 13 gives us all these analogies and and adjectives of what true love is. But I'm telling you, without a baby born in a manger, we would be hard-pressed to truly understand love because in our culture, we throw it out just like it's another phrase. I love you, man. And we don't have a clue who that individual is. We don't know what love is, especially if it calls us to do something, to step out into someone's life to, well... I'm glad that Jesus loved people. And listen, Jesus truly was kind and compassionate. Jesus truly met needs of people. Jesus fed people when they were hungry, absolutely. Jesus was concerned about injustices in his day and his time. But I'm telling you something, Jesus was more concerned about people's relationship to God. And it ultimately drove him to a cross. Why? Because of this dash, this section in his life which we find that he was love. Scripture says that there's no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for someone. Wow. The prophet Isaiah, some 700 years before Jesus was ever born, would begin to speak about this one that would come. Jesus uses some of his words that Isaiah quoted in chapter 61. In Luke chapter four, Jesus quoted these words during a time in the synagogue in Nazareth. Now remember where he was from. He's from Nazareth, right? Born in Bethlehem, family from Nazareth, right? Remember they'd made the journey to go and pay. You know the story, right? But Jesus quotes these words from the prophet Isaiah and gives us a snapshot as to really why he's here, <clears throat> Jesus is standing in a synagogue and he says, the spirit of the Lord has come upon me for he's anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. <clears throat> he has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see that the oppressed are gonna be set free, that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Listen, Jesus was concerned about people receiving their physical sight, but Jesus had a greater concern for you and I to receive our spiritual sight as well. Listen, Jesus was concerned about setting people that were oppressed and enslaved and in bondage, maybe to an addiction or demon-possessed. Jesus definitely wanted to see those people set free physically. But can I tell you something? He cares more about your spiritual release today. He wants to see you set free from whatever those things that are holding you in bondage are. You see, Jesus' his greatest concern and the reason this baby came born in a manger was to set captives free. That, that same prophet Isaiah gives us a snapshot. I'm not gonna read all of it in Isaiah chapter 53, but he begins to describe what he would be like. Verse two, he says, there's nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance that would attract us to himself. He would say he's despised and rejected. He would say we turned our backs on him. Keep in mind, these are words 700 years before Jesus was ever born. We know how the story ends. He's not even born yet. And the prophet is describing his life. It was our weaknesses that he carried, our sorrows that weighed him down. Verse five says he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. Verse 7, he's oppressed and treated harshly, but yet he never said a word. Wow. Verse 8, unjustly condemned. He was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants. His life was cut short. Verse 9, he had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. Wow. You see, that's Jesus. Jesus. That's, that's, that's this one born in a manger. And, and, and I don't know if we truly grasp that during the Christmas season because we think it's about parades and lights and giving gifts and, and buying stuff. and we, m- m- So many in our culture long for the, the doorbell of the Amazon guy to, to ring versus we miss the significance of this birth that the prophet spoke of. It's Jesus. His very purpose for coming was to give his life for you. Romans chapter 5 says God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, God will certainly save us from his condemnation. You see, the message of Christmas is this. It's not necessarily this, although this is how it started and how it began. But from this to what we just read in Romans chapter 5 about a death on a cross, there's a lot of life there that's significant. My question for you today is, do you know... Jesus as the Messiah the promised one that Peter spoke of in Luke 9 has he become Lord of your life have, have you allowed him to 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 take the blinders off of of your eyes for you to truly see him and what he's well what he wants to do in your life maybe you're you're enslaved and you're a captive to something today have you have you truly understood that that this baby born in a manger he came so that he could set you free from all of that, that you're striving and you're struggling can end today. If you just simply say yes to Jesus, the Christ, the savior of the world, the anointed one. Have you said yes to him? I'm going to invite you to stand with me today. Our ministry team is going to be down front today. And the invitation is simply this today. I'm going to pray And if you're here today and you would love to say yes to a Savior, if you would love to have the very presence and spirit of God in your life, I'm telling you, say yes to Emmanuel, God with us. Say yes to him. Say yes to Jesus. He came. His sole purpose was to go to that cross. Yes, he did so many things up to that that moment but his sole purpose was to lay down his life so that you could have it so lord that's my prayer today for someone listening here i pray that today god today they would see their need for a savior their savior came wrapped as a babe in a major snugly cloths lying there strips of linen encompassing his newborn body And he lived well. And he pointed us towards God the Father. He modeled for us what life should be like for those who follow him. And ultimately, he went to a cross and died. And just as he made his entrance, his body being wrapped in linen strips and cloth, well, that's how his physical body ended here on earth also. Wrapped. In cloths, and lying in the grave of a friend, borrowed. But yet his purpose was significant. His purpose, although only 33 years, a life cut short, it speaks volumes to us today. His life, that dash that he lived, is transforming to those who will say yes to him. And Lord, that's my prayer for the person listening today. That they would say, I need a Savior. I need Jesus. And so I want to pray for that individual here today or the individual watching online. Last week, we had someone watching online that gave their life to Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. But if you're here today, I want to encourage you to come at the end of this prayer and tell one of our friends down front, you need a Savior, you need Jesus. Jesus. He's here. Don't delay. The greatest gift you could receive this Christmas is a Savior who gives life. So I'm praying today would be your day. So Lord, thank you for coming. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.